Hello everyone, as this is our first show since Birdfair, and a few of you might be listening for the first time, I thought I'd say hello to you all, and give you a heads up that there's 80 odd other episodes of various topics to go and enjoy, and I'm going to say a big thank you to our regular listeners, and I'll just point out, this was recorded on a outdoor stage at the Birdfair, so I've left the ambience of the background noise in the edit. Enjoy the episode! Welcome to the UK Wildlife Podcast with me, Victoria Hillman. And me, Neil Phillips. And we're here at Bird Fair with Nigel Myvin. Hi. Nice to meet you. Hi, Nigel. Nice to meet you. Nice to finally get you on the podcast. Yeah, um, no, it's good. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, you've been on the list for a while. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We've got a list of people and you've been there near the top. So, <laughs> uh, so have you had... We normally start off with a recent wildlife sighting. So, as the guest, have you had a recent wildlife sighting? Yeah, brilliant. I, ever since I was a little boy, I've wanted to see an Apollo butterfly. So it's uh, and I saw one in Slovakia the day before yesterday. I flew direct to the bird fair. Yeah. Place in the mountains in limestone hills near uh, near, um, near near Bratislava, uh, which is the capital of Slovakia. I'm making a film there, and uh, they were feeding on knapweed. These beautiful creamy white butterflies gliding across the knapweed, they didn't stop, and then we waited for about two hours, and I managed to get some nice video, which you can see on Twitter, at Nigel Marvin, or Instagram, at Nigel Marvin Official. That's where I put all my wildlife sightings. Um, so you can see it there, Apollo butterfly. It's all these things that you've got on a wish list, yeah. and I'd read yeah. about Apollo butterflies when I was about six, and always wanted to see one. Yeah. I'm now 62, and I have seen one, so Is um, that the mountain exciting. Apollo? Mountain Apollo. Oh, yeah. it's a stunning. I've seen them in Bulgaria. Yeah, beautiful. absolutely amazing, aren't they? Yeah, with beautiful, red, beautiful red, red rings. Yeah, and, yeah. yeah, lovely, oh, lovely butterfly. So that's that's my most exciting one recently. Nice. That's, that's mm. one of the top five European butterflies, isn't it? Yeah, or arguably no, the top one actually. I think. Yeah, say, no, or it? in the world even. I think it's yeah. world class. The Apollo. Yeah, I feel a bit left out now. I haven't seen one. <laughs> yeah, no, it's absolutely stunning. You've got to put it on your wish yeah, list. Yeah, it's on yeah. my list. I can promise you that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm not a butterfly person, but the Apollo is one of those species, yeah, isn't no, it? Absolutely. It's yeah. really, really nice. So, well, my wildlife sighting, for anyone that follows me on Twitter, you've probably already seen it, is the two teeny grass snakes I have in my pond. Oh, great. Um, so it's only a little metre by metre, little pond. Frogs have bred in it, and I was there trying to photograph one of the snakes, and another one pops up with a tadpole in its yeah, mouth so I've fantastic. got these two like 30 centimeter snakes in the garden which I've really enjoyed watching kind of hunting the tadpoles mostly unsuccessfully uh, it's quite fun to watch but yeah that's my sighting yeah no they, they always deliver so anyone who hasn't got a pond in their garden it's a friend of mine just dug one and she's got her first dragonflies and waiting for frogs next year and palmettos I got great crested newts in my pond this wow. year. So exciting to see those because they're obviously an endangered species and a well definitely our most beautiful amphibian with the creamy white stripe on mm. the tail and everything. Fantastic. So yeah, anyone who hasn't got a pond, you really should have one, particularly with climate change, because everything's drying out. Even the birds have got nowhere to drink. But if you've got a little pond with 
you know, maybe some pebbles or stones by the side so the birds have got a perch to drink and bathe. It gives hours of endless pleasure, like you watching your baby grass. Yeah, I just sit there and watch them. And we're both big advocates for building wildlife ponds. You yeah. know, we, we just bang on about it all the time about if you don't do anything else, build a wildlife yes, pond no. because it's the, the amount of joy it brings as well. It, it's yeah, amazing, no, isn't terrific. it? Yeah. They're terrific. Yeah. Well, yeah, you won't get any argument with ponds. I photograph pong life in aquariums, so I get all with the diving beetles and stuff. So, uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, I got nicknamed Pond Man at my old job, so uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> always good. I mean, I've had a grass snake in my pond as well. There must be something about the podcast today. Although mine doesn't hang around for photos, so I'm going to go with the stag beetles that I've been finding around my house recently. Yeah, so, uh, fantastic. Which is always a good time. Another endangered species, isn't it? Just a nice female. The wife found it on the patio where it was probably going to get attacked by the local cat that keeps coming through. So she put it in a pot so I could put it somewhere safe. Put it in a pot without a lid on in the kitchen. So I then spent the next hour trying to find it. Could not find it anywhere. Gave up. About an hour later, I was hanging out of the washing, put my hand in the peg basket and... Uh, <laughs> Ouch! <laughs> and it was a female, so they can actually bite. And I found the stag beetle with my finger. Oh, good, good, good. Yeah, she, she was quite safe and happy, but even though she bit me, she's my wildlife highlight. I'm going to sneak in one more, though. I've had wall carder bees and green-eyed flower bees in my garden, so uh, they've been keeping me happy recently. Now, I'm just going to briefly interrupt the interview here, because at this point, the heavens opened and the strong wind started blowing the rain into the little burger van-shaped recording trailer thing we were in and all of Oscar's electrics were starting to get wet so the shutter was put down and the audience had disappeared at that point unsurprisingly because they didn't want to get all wet and the two additional voices you hear are Oscar who was not only recording this but you may remember edited quite a few episodes of this podcast a year or two ago and you can hear Charlie Bingham as well did an excellent job organising all these podcast not just ours but everyone else that was there recording episodes and she set up this interview with Nigel Marvin so a big thanks to them too while we're here okay we'll stop for a second you're trapped in with you us can, you can leave Nigel Marvin was last seen <laughs> bye, bye. bye. Bird Fair's a new location, well, for the last two years. How are you finding it so far? Yeah, I love the Bird Fair. Anyone who's interested in wildlife or anything to do with natural history, you should come to the Bird Fair. You know, amazing. Helps conservation. I mean, this year the, the, it's helped South American rainforests, so they do some really great stuff. Meet a lot of nice people here. You know, I love coming. Obviously, with my filming, I'm travelling all around the world. People are helping me, and I can meet them at the... The bird fair, so it's a terrific thing to do. So anyone who hasn't come, you should come next year. Yeah, yeah. and it's and like you say about the connections, it's amazing. This is my first year exhibiting at Bird Fair with my artwork, and I made some amazing connections already that I'm going to work with them in the future to help raise funds for their conservation projects. And you meet, obviously, like me and Neil here, but all old friends, you get to meet new new people, make new friends. It's, it is an amazing event, isn't it? Yeah, no, the, the art marquee is absolutely fantastic. Yeah. You know, I mean, world-class artist Chris Rose, an incredible artist who can, you know, paint birds on water and the water looks like it's real. You know, I mean, I don't know how, yeah. how he does it. Um, and Peter Partington there as well, who's illustrated a lot of Dominic Cousins' books um, about 
bird life, you know, tr truly terrific. And you meet so many nice people here. You know, it's a, it's a, it's yeah, a wonderful it's place. It's been raining and snowing and hailing and everything <laughs> else. Oh, not to mention the huge thunderstorm we had earlier yeah. as well. It, it like, hasn't oh. dampened everyone's spirits. That's yeah. a great... Uh, you need wellies if you come tomorrow. It, you know, Sunday's a great day to come to the bird fair for families, so... Um, yeah, I have to say, it's also been today a great example of wetland creation out there, I think. <laughs> yes, <laughs> there's been a lot of pond formation within the marquees, yeah. let alone outside the marquees. And especially in one of them yesterday, there was a big pond and somebody actually cut out a shark fin and put it in the pond <laughs> and then they put the little wind turbines up. So, oh, that was brilliant, yeah. Yeah, but it's great. Everyone can have a laugh about it. And we just yeah, get on no, and enjoy it. It, it hasn't it's, dampened the spirits at all. It's brilliant. Yeah. Well, wildlife folk are generally used to British summer weather, aren't we? So, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're, we're pretty hardy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, how did your interest in wildlife start? Um, I don't think I've ever been interested in anything else. I never had train sets as a kid or um, scale electrics or toy cars. I always had um, stick insects that I used to race along the washing line. I, I remember. I got my first green lizard as a pet. It's a Mediterranean lizard that you could buy in pet shops. Then luckily you can't now because they're quite difficult to keep in captivity. But I had a, a green lizard and, and it all started. I read Gerald Durrell's book. If anyone hasn't read oh, yeah. My Family and Other Animals, it's the best book about wildlife that you can read through the eyes of a little boy mm. um, on the island of Corfu. And I just, you know, I was never interested in anything else. Always loved, loved animals. So I guess that just kind of grew and got nurtured. Well, yeah, people always ask if you want to, you know, do what I do, how do you do it? Well, go to university and do botany and zoology. If you want to be a producer, most of those producers of the big wildlife shows, the Netflix shows and the BBC shows, they've got a degree in, in zoology. The cameramen haven't necessarily got a degree because they've got to be more practical and know how to hang cameras from tripods and all of the amazing mm -hmm. things that they do. Um, but the producers... If, if, you know, I'd got my biology degree and now I can speak to scientists around the world when we're making our films and they don't think they're speaking to a journalist, they're speaking to somebody who knows a little bit about evolutionary biology and cladistics and all of those things that they, they know about so you can build a rapport with them. So work hard at school if you can. <laughs> Go to university and get a degree in biodiversity or conservation or I did botany, zoology. I don't think you do that anymore, but do biology and whatever and that's, that's how it will all happen. Uh, you can still do... I did zoology with marine zoology. Oh, good. Yeah, you so did a joint honours. I did a joint yeah. honours um, and... Yeah, I did uh, paleobiology and evolution, but the last two years I picked all the current, you know, marine biology modules and stuff like that because I halfway through I thought mm, this living stuff's probably a bit more. It moves. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, the fossils are wonderful, but you know, compared to like a, a shrimp or something in a rock pool, you know, a fossil trilobite is lovely, but I'd rather look at. A, yes. Yeah, I don't think you can do either. With, you know, you can't do paleontology without liking wildlife. No, no, no absolutely. You can't understand it if you don't know no, what the living stuff. No, yeah, no, so, they go hand in hand for sure. Mm. I've got to ask about the pet caiman you had as a kid. How did that have come about? Yeah, no, I used to have a lot of exotic pets. Luckily, nowadays, you can't get them. And if anyone wants to have a reptile pet, of course, it's a great thing to have, but make sure it's captive bred. So if you want a corn snake or if you want, you know, a blue-tongued skink or one of those lovely reptile pets that you can have. They mean bred in captivity for generations. Now, they're almost domesticated, so there's nothing wrong with keeping reptiles as pets as long as you give them the right ultraviolet light and all of those other things. But please, please, 
don't ever buy a reptile that's been caught in the wild. There's no need for that anymore. You know, they're all captive bred. But I had a pet caiman. You could have them there. I remember I got it in a margarine tub. It was about <laughs> 15 centimetres, six inches long at that time. It grew an inch a month. I remember going away on for a weekend away to Great Yarmouth, I think, looking for natterjack toads. I fed the caiman a rat and it was doing those death spins in its aquarium, trying to tear the rat apart, and it kept my parents awake for the whole weekend as it was smashing against. <laughs> and of course, they couldn't do anything about it. And when I came back, there was putrefying rat flesh and blood in the aquarium. So that, I had that as a bet, and I gave it to a zoo in the end, because obviously, if they grow an inch a month, oh, um, yeah. <laughs> it's a problem. Now, you couldn't have one without a dangerous wild animals license. Oh, how was it 1980s wasn't it, that came in some point wasn't it yes and, yeah. and, and now you can't keep venomous snakes which is great or crocodiles or monkeys or any of those things you need yeah. a dangerous wild animals out of monkeys shouldn't be kept in captivity anyway unless you've got an amazing facility like a zoo or whatever not suitable for pets that's for sure no I have to ask, what did your parents think about it? <laughs> yeah, no, they, uh, they, I remember they always used to say to me, yeah, he's going to grow out of it, uh, you know, jumping on snakes. <laughs> but they didn't realise it would have become my career and I'm still doing it now. Um, you know, I, I, was, I caught an Arabian cobra in Oman last week, so I'm still, you know, getting close to venomous snakes and, and, and meeting, you know, reptiles and amphibians and other things in the wild. So I made my hobby my career, which is fun watching the Pantanal documentary earlier this week and snakes certainly seem to have a taste for you don't they, they quite a lot of them seem oh, to yeah, be grabbing was, onto you that was the famous um, false water cobra that we actually caught in the wild and they filmed a, a real grab and it it's back fanged I knew it was back fanged but it chewed onto me for two minutes and it's a great scene because you can see the blood coming out <laughs> of my uh, of the wound and I didn't want to pull its teeth away from my hand because it could injure the snake or hurt his, you know, jaw. So I didn't want to do that. So I just let him chew and then let go. But the, the bleeding lasted quite a long time and my ha hand swelled up. But it was great TV, you know. <laughs> and uh, because of that, I got on Jonathan Ross with, you know, Radiohead and um, David Tennant was on on the same time. So... Because I was bitten by a false water cobra, <laughs> it got me it got me on a on a big chat show, which I was very happy about. So, so no matter anything else you did, it was just the being bitten by a snake that got you there. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's a it's a uh, you know for wildlife presenters, it's a badge of courage mm. if you're bitten by. I think. I mean, not I'm not going to be bitten by a venomous snake, um, a seriously venomous snake. I mean, that would be crazy. I never I never grab them behind the head as if people do when they're milking them. I have them on a hook and hold them by the tail because. If your hand slips and you get bitten by a venomous snake, it's going to spoil your weekend for sure. So I don't let that happen. So how did you get into presenting wildlife shows? So like, where, where did that journey kind of start? And I was a producer at the BBC Natural History Unit, which is obviously the Hollywood of wildlife filmmaking. And I, my last series was a series about Iran. I did Super Sense, which was the first time where they we trained birds to fly next to cars so you could really feel like you were flying along with a bird. I did an, an episode of David Attenborough's Life of Birds. Oh, yeah. And then ITV couldn't get Steve Irwin shows for some reason. The Australian broadcasters wouldn't let them have them and they needed a British Steve Irwin. And they, I said, no, I, I'm definitely not going to do that. I'm a producer, not a presenter. But it turned out that I did do it. I did a show reel for them and that's how it all happened. So, you know, the late, great Steve Irwin 
I owe him a great debt of gratitude and whatever anyone says about him, he was a showman, but he got a whole generation of people interested in herpetology and he wasn't dealing with, you know, cuddly pandas or, you know, the big iconic animals. He was dealing with snakes and there was a whole generation of young people that wanted to be herpetologists. And he would stand in front of the camera and say, if, if we don't do anything, these forests in Madagascar are going to disappear. So he was the first one that talked about conservation in his shows. So he, he, he was a great man. And we all, we all think of uh, David Attenborough, who is great. He's an icon. I mean, I work with him. He's a, you know, a fabulous man. But around the world, Steve Irwin had a great influence on young people, maybe more than uh, you know, Sir David when, when, when uh, Steve Irwin was at, was at his peak. Yeah, yeah, there's definitely an audience that knew who Steve Irwin was, certainly in the States, but not David Attenborough at all. Yeah, it? yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, David Attenborough is absolutely fantastic and a great enthusiast. And, you know, the fact he's doing it still in his 90s is truly extraordinary. But um, as I say, Steve Irwin had, had a good impact as well on conservation. Well, we know one very good impact now, Dr. Steve Elaine. Yeah. He's one of the top herpetologists. He's been published like 10, 20 times already. Just passed his doctorate um, studying grass snakes. And Steve Irwin's his hero. I yeah. know that he's a big influence on him. Yeah, so, no, uh, no, absolutely. I think it's brought that, you know, those less liked and less loved animals, it's really brought them to the fore and, and got more people interested in those animals as well. I mean, that's something we're really passionate about is giving love and time to those animals. To, for people to understand them and, and see just how beautiful and stunning they actually are, mm. but how much they need our help as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it can't just be all the big iconic animals, rhinos and elephants and pandas, you know, um, snakes and lizards, they need our help as well. I mean, it's, it's a tragedy how adders have declined in, in our country. I mean, it's, you know, a lot of it's to do with pheasants because pheasants eat baby adders and there's, you know, it's unbelievable that the hunting fraternity are allowed to release hundreds of thousands of pheasants every year and the impact that has on native wildlife is, you know, incredible. I mean, there's laws against releasing non-native wildlife, but they ride roughshod over that, you know, because of hunting. So, you know, hopefully pheasants, one day that will be stopped, that mass release of pheasants every year. Yeah, yeah they decimate um, the lizard population at a site I work at. Well, that's my theory. We had lots of common lizards breeding one year. And around the margins of this, like a meadow with a woodland edge, which is typical pheasant habitat, and none the next year. Mm. No, mm. You know, really low population again, and they bred really well the year before. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. We, we've cut, we've mentioned pheasants and uh, predation a few times on the podcast over the years. So uh, it's it's a pet peeve of mine. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, no, they 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 eat anything. I can't have Nigel Marvin on a podcast without talking walking with sea monsters and walking with dinosaurs. So. How did the, you end up presenting what wasn't a presenter-led show? Yeah, I did, a, I did a series called Giants where I compared myself to the biggest animals alive today. I did an episode on bears, so I stood next to a Kodiak bear and all, all of those sorts of things. Giant snakes, I met anacondas for the first time. Green anaconda is obviously the most massive snake in the world. The makers of Walking with Dinosaurs saw that and said, oh, wouldn't it be great if we could send a person back to give scale to our creations? We could use an actor, but maybe Nigel, he knows how to handle alligators and crocodiles and snakes, and it would be more realistic in a docudrama if he was the presenter rather than an actor, and that's, that's how it happened. Sea Monsters is my favourite. That was when I travelled back to the seven deadliest seas of all time and met Plesiosaurs and Ichthyosaurs and Tanistrophus, which is a preposterous reptile with a 
a huge long neck. I just read recently they've done major studies now saying that it was in great danger of predation because obviously if you've got a long neck like that, predators can bite your head off. Um, so it may help you sneak into shoals of fish and grab fish, but then you've got a problem that you can't escape from predators. They found a lot of fossils now where Tanistrophus has basically been beheaded, which is sad because I love that as a reptile. <laughs> but anyway. Yeah, so that was that was my favourite. So my next question was going to be, what's your favourite dinosaur? But that isn't technically a dinosaur, is no, it? No, my so favourite dinosaur is, everyone asks this, is... Um, but, sorry, I'm not saying that in a rude way. Children no. always ask this. It's Microraptor. So good choice. That was a Chinese one that had four wings with feathers and it could glide from tree to tree. And the great thing about the bird fair is... If people call you a geek because mm. you like birds, well, there's two things. One, dinosaurs didn't become extinct, they transformed into birds. Two, Ian Fleming, who wrote James Bond, was a bird watcher. And the field guide called Birds of the West Indies was written by a guy called James Bond. And Ian <laughs> Fleming got the name from 007, 4007, from James Bond, the bird watcher. So you know, James Bond got his name. And if you watch one of the movies, I can't remember the, which one, but it's... It's the it, 20th one, I think. Yeah, I can't think where, what it's called. where yeah. um, Halle Berry comes out of the sea in a bikini and Pierce Brosnan is reading a book. If you look closely, you can see the book he's reading is Birds of the West Indies by oh, James Bond. That. So, um, yeah, you're not a geek if you love birds. And it's actually the perfect place to be. Yeah, no, for sure. So what would you say is your wildlife highlight so far? And I know that's probably a hard one to pick. You might have a couple, but do you have one? Yeah, very hard, because I love it. I mean, I've just come from Amman, and it's the monsoon season in Salala. So the rest of the country's 45 degrees in Oman, but this area in Salala, which is in the, in the far southwest, has a monsoon. And we were walking along, and we saw a few dofar toads. You get Arabian toads and dofar toads there. We then saw hundreds and thousands of dofar doads because it was raining, they were all getting ready to breed. Not, there was no water there yet, but they were all mating in the desert. So you can see how um, the Egyptian plagues of frogs in the oh, Bible yeah. could have come about. But we did an amazing film sequence there. The cameraman was right in amongst these mating toads and I was walking and they were jumping in front of my feet and everything. So I've been lucky enough with my job to see all seven species of marine turtle. I've seen baby loggerheads, but I've never seen a loggerhead nesting, lots of those in Oman. So, and they have got a massive triangular head. I mean, that's why they're called log. I've never seen a sea turtle with such a big head. So everywhere you go, and I, I, you know, South Georgia with St. Andrew's Bay, 100,000 king penguins is amazing. Being dragged behind a boat with beluga whales is incredible. Diving outside a cage with a great white shark, I'll never forget that. You know, so seeing, I think I'm the only presenter who's been filmed with a panda in the wild. A panda had a cub in China. So many highlights, it's, it's very hard to answer that question. I remember I've actually seen some of the, the video on Twitter of the toads. Yes. And actually, if you look closely, someone pointed it out. If you actually watch it, and I, I do definitely suggest everyone goes on and watches this clip. So while everyone's focusing on you and the cameraman, there's a little toad actually rolling down the hill behind you. Well, yeah, it's somebody hilarious. pointed that yeah. on the rocks. They, it was absolutely amazing. They were all over the place, these toads. So, no, incredible. Yeah, I remember seeing that and thinking that. And then seeing the little one roll down, it's like, that's amazing. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> I should point out now that Vicky's obsessed with frogs I and toads. So, yeah, no, well, this, and toads, this, so that's my thing. This, this so. was fantastic. I've seen lots of 
wildlife spectacles, mm. but this was incredible, I must say. You've seen all these wonderful creatures. Is there anything high up on your wish list you haven't seen yet? Yeah, absolutely, snow leopard. You know, I, I must see a snow leopard. A shoebill, I'd like to see one of those. Yeah. You know, I, lo I love ugly animals. I don't think any animals are ugly, but weird-looking animals. I've done a film about weird animals. A shoebill is up there, and of course, all of the birds of paradise. I've only been to Papua New Guinea once. Madagascar, I've never been to. I'd like to see those miniature chameleons. I'd like to see the vangas and all of those sorts of things. And I've never been to Ethiopia. I'd like to see the Ethiopian wolf predating mole rats. So, yeah, there's still a few things for me to do for sure. Madagascar is an amazing place. You'll love it. We actually went, well, quite a few years ago now, we went and it's been on my wish list to, to go for the lemurs, but also the chameleons and the frogs. Mm. And we absolutely fell in love with it. We actually got engaged in Madagascar. So uh, right. we, we, it's got a special place in our heart, but it, it's a phenomenal place. And yeah, the tiny little chameleons, the frogs, the spiders, the big golden orb weaver spiders. And it's just a phenomenal place to go. Yeah, no, one, really one, one day I'll go there. Oh, I've decided that for my, maybe my 40th birthday, but I want to go to Christmas Island. That's yeah, and I've been there. That's amazing. I didn't go when the, the crabs were moving. I mean, we saw the crabs, but it wasn't the mass migration. But there's an amazing Abbott's Booby. It's the only place in the world you can see that. And a uh, tropic bird that's golden. It's an apricot, apricot-coloured tropic bird. And we went there to film robber crabs. I mean, that's, that's the top of my list. Rob, robber crabs all over that island. And it was, it was incredible. Robber crabs, those... Well, I mean, you guys know, but maybe yeah. the listeners don't know those huge crabs that climb palm trees and snip off coconuts and then break into coconuts. So Christmas Island is a great place. Yeah, biggest land invertebrate, that's why I want to see it. <laughs> so I think for me it's going to be Costa Rica and Ecuador. Yeah. They're, they're, yeah, they're kind no. of high up on my list to go in. Cause I, I watched a programme you did. I actually I haven't seen it in English. I've actually seen it in German because I haven't found it over here and it was a, a series you did in Costa Rica, I think. Yeah, and no, I did a series in Central America. And if, I mean, if anyone, your listeners, wants to come with me, go to nigelmarvin.com. I'm doing four trips to Costa Rica with a brilliant local guy called Johan Fernandez. He's got a company called The Birdway. We'll definitely see sloths. We'll definitely see resplendent quetzals. We'll definitely see red-eyed tree frogs. So we're doing four trips starting in November and then going into 2024. So if any of your listeners want to check those out, go to nigelmarvin.com or my Twitter, at Nigel Marvin, or Instagram, at Nigel Marvin Official. So hopefully see some of you in Costa Rica. And if anyone wants to smuggle me in their luggage as well, that'd be great. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so because we are the UK Wildlife Podcast, obviously we've got um, like some wildlife spectacles and that from overseas. Do you have a favourite British wildlife species? I think it must be the, um, in terms of spectacle, it must be the seabird cliffs, of course, you know. And my favourite species here... That's a very difficult... Probably sand lizards. I mean, sand mm, lizards are unbelievable mm. males in the spring with their, you know, in their spring livery with the green sides to their bodies and everything. Mm. Fantastic lizards. So sand lizards are probably my favourite. I was very lucky. I got a friend who's licensed to survey them and we found a smooth snake and she'd seen a sand lizard and we saw a couple of females dart off. And it's one of those days where the sun's just trying to come through the cloud and we walked up this slope to get, check one of the tins and there was a male just sat perfectly between the heather bright green pristine mouth one of the southern surrey ones the really colorful ones mm. oh you know i've seen some nice looking reptiles but that was the prettiest reptile i've seen in the uk by yeah, far no, we, while we're talking about my favorite invertebrate must be and there's something not many people know about and it's what helped me get my first job because i got them for a natural history unit film is is our which is the water spider so 
you know, it's the diving bell spider, and they collect oxygen bubbles on their abdomen, they spin a silken web under the water, they fill it with oxygen like a diving bell, and then they swim under the water and catch little um, shrimps and things. So that's incredible that in Northern Europe, in Britain, we've got the only completely aquatic spider in the world. And so that's a beautiful, a lovely, lovely silvery body when they go up to collect air and everything like that. So, no, that's, that, that's my favorite invertebrate in the UK, the water spider. Very good choice. My second favorite spider species. <laughs> a raft spider just tips it for me. But uh, like, have you ever kept a water spider? They make quite good pets, actually. I kept one for a couple of years. I have, yeah. For yeah. that filming, we had them for a while, yeah. And they're, they're, and they're easy to feed and everything, but, yeah. And I think you're, you're here all day tomorrow as well, aren't you? Here here all day tomorrow. So yeah, no, if I say so myself, an entertaining talk at 10, if you want to go with, <laughs> with some funny moments go, with reptiles and things. So. 10 o'clock tomorrow at the bird fair. I'm going to try and make that. Yeah. Well, I'll be on my stand, so... Yeah, I'll any, tell you all about it. Around, <laughs> Thank you so much, Nigel. It's Thanks been absolutely on. fantastic to have you on, and thank you so much to chat. Yeah, no, it's been a joy talking to you. Thank you very much. Thanks. Cheers. Thank you. Cheers. Thank you for listening to the UK Wildlife Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, then please do subscribe and leave a review for us on Apple Podcasts or whichever podcast service you use. You can follow us on Twitter at UK Wildlife Pod, or one word. Or on Instagram at UK Wildlife Podcast. And like us on our Facebook page, UK Wildlife Podcast. And you can also post to the UK Wildlife Podcast community group. If you would like to share your wildlife news or sightings with us on Instagram or Twitter, then please tag us in the post and use the hashtag UK Wildlife Podcast. And you can now support us through our Buy Me A Coffee account, which you can find at buymeacoffee.com forward slash UK Wildlife Pod, where you can give us a one-off bit of support or join our membership scheme. Head there to find out more. This episode was edited by Neil Phillips. The music is by Oscar Henderson. You can find him on Instagram at oscar.creates.